that you would settle our hearts. We pray that you would teach us to pray more and more through these songs and prayers that you've given to us in your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you use the Psalms, how the Psalms were a comfort to you, how you show us the way God's word flows out of your heart in the midst of various situations in your earthly life. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us to hide your word in our heart, that we might pray and sing to you uh, in these ways as well. We love you. We worship you. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and use this time to bring us deeper into your word and into your own heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. So I have the privilege of leading us through the Psalms this morning. Um, One of the main chunks of our time this morning will be me going through something that comes mostly from this book by uh, O. Palmer Robertson called The Flow of the Psalms. When I was a pastor of a church called Grace Church for All Nations in Atlanta, uh, for our, one of our Bible weekends, we had him come and teach this to us, and it was mind-blowing, okay? And I want to let you know that if you look up on YouTube, Grace Church for All Nations, you can find a video, of, it's like an hour and whatever long video of him going in more detail for this, so I would commend that to you. I'm not going to do it for over an hour, obviously, giving you all the ins and outs. What I'm going to do is walk us through this outline based on these charts on the back of this book that just shows some organization within the Psalter as we have it now in the Bible and, uh, and some of the ideas behind that. So, um, so let's go ahead and get started. So this slide, of course you can't read these words, that's fine. Um, the way I want us to look at the psalm this morning is the psalms, the heart of the redeemed. That one of the things that's so be- beautiful, this is like an emotion wheel. So in the, in the middle you have sad, mad, scared, joyful, powerful, peaceful. And then they sort of branch out into subdivisions of greater articulation. And this is actually used to help people express their feelings, you know. Ladies, raise your hand if your husband is good at expressing his... I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But, you know, some of us, especially guys, stereotypically maybe, need some help giving words to our feelings. And sometimes sad or mad doesn't cut it. You know, there's something more nuanced about it. And so these are are things to help us find... It's the right word you're looking for, you know, when you're trying to remember a word that it's like this doesn't fit, that doesn't fit. For us to be able to find the right word to express what's going on in our heart is a big deal. It really helps other relationships. And the reason I gave that is kind of an illustration that in the Psalms, you will find all of these emotions coming from the various psalmists in prayer to God. And depending on how familiar or unfamiliar you are with the book of Psalms, When you go beyond the famous ones like Psalm 23, not ripping on Psalm 23, uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 110, the Messianic Psalms, when you go deeper into that, when you read the Psalms, you might be offended or at least shocked. Because in the Psalms, you will find prayers, which are meant to be sung as well, that don't necessarily fit with your understanding of what it looks, sounds, and feels like to be a faithful, walking with Jesus Christian. 
We'll get into this in a minute, but that's just as a little heads up connecting with this part here. Psalm 44, I don't remember if I preached on this or not, but after a broken engagement, uh, someone was teaching on this psalm or something, and it took me about a month to realize I was angry or frustrated with God and his plan about my broken engagement. And yes, there's sinful anger, right? But when someone taught on Psalm 44, I heard phrases that sounded blasphemous. Like, wake up, O Lord, why are you sleeping? Arise to our help. You left us. We didn't leave you. You left us out to dry in battle. Like, strong sounding stuff that if some guy was in your prayer meeting and you didn't know it was a psalm and he started praying that, you'd be like, dude, what's wrong with this guy? Like, is this guy even saved? You know? That's how you might feel when you hear that kind of psalm. And what's so beautiful and comforting to me about that is that I realize God can handle not only can he handle those feelings about the suffering that he allows or has ordained into my life, but, but he's actually given me prayers to articulate those feelings to him. And they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, so they're not sinful. Is there sin mixed up in how I felt? Sure there was. But in Psalm 44, that's a sinless Holy Spirit-inspired prayer of complaint to God. So... How do you, what do you think about that? Is that? Give me some thoughts about that. What, what, what comes to your mind as you hear that? Are there, can you relate to that? Are there other psalms that come to mind that have helped you in that way? Cindy? Right, that's right. Uh, there's diff- what about others of you? What is what is what I just said bring to your mind? I think it brings some hope and relief. Okay. That's right. Do you hear what she said? Healthy relationships involve communicating of emotions. Now, the Psalms aren't just about like emotions, like, hey, God, I'm happy. I'm sad. You know, there's historic reminders and all kinds. We'll see. But as we're kind of getting our appetites wet for digging in, this is what I wanted to talk about. Others of you, so I think I saw another hand. The emotional life of the believer connecting with the emotional life of God. Do you think God feels some of these things in the middle? I know I sound like Mr. Rogers. Bear with me. But I love Mr. Rogers. You're like, why are we talking about feelings? Let's talk about breaking their teeth, oh God. But what, what, does God feel those things? Sure he does. I'm preaching on December 26th. You can pray for me ahead of that. It's going to be, I think it's going to be the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And we're going to see the heart of God in the face of Jesus in his earthly ministry. Because I think sometimes we're tempted to think of God like, well, he's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He knows that his plan is good. So just, hey, chill out and trust him, you know. But that's not really how God calls us to respond. And the Psalms are a great example of that. Like, don't just stuff it down. If you just stuff it down, you're not going to heal. And so when David is suffering, he doesn't stuff it down. He's like, Lord, my uh, tears are my food. You know, 
I'm swimming in tears. Help me, Lord. You know, my weird stuff like my loins are burning. All like what? What the what? You know what? It, he gets real with God, and he God teaches us. That this is what it looks like to know the living God. And comfortingly, sometimes knowing the living God does not feel good. It feels awful, right? Psalm 73, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they go to their deathbeds in ease and sleekness? And, you know, and like then I saw their end. There's a real wrestling with God that happens in the heart of the believer. That's what Israel means, right? Wrestling with God. So we're not going to just talk about the uh, complaining psalms, but that's just an example of how the depth of this book really takes you more and more to the depth of your own heart through faith in Jesus so that you can see the depth of God's heart for you. Does that make sense? So you could almost say the heart of God in the heart of the, of the redeemed, right? Because we're made in the image of God who has this kind of heart, right? He loves good and hates evil, and so... I know I'm preaching and not, to, you know, but anyway, so that, just think about that. Okay, let's go. All right. Yes, please. There you go. Yes. Like Psalms are almost like this prism to help us get to that point of knowing, like, having that kind of emotion of over, you know, sin. Yes. Yeah. Stephen, what are you going to say? I was going to say. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, what are we meant to do to image God? What's the, what are the and you love God, right? Yeah. Love. I know you can sound hippie-ish and all. I did go to a hippie college. But it really is all about love. And there is nothing in the Bible that's not about love. And there's no psalm that's not about love. There's nothing in the, about the history of redemption that's not ultimately about God's love for us and how we're called to respond in love to God other believers, and those who don't yet know him. That is what the Christian life is all about. And so all of these things are aspects of a loving relationship with the loving God. And all of the emotions, even anger and, and all of that, come from a heart of love. You who love, love the Lord hate evil. You know, even hatred is a kind of love against evil, right? So that's what this is about. It's about love and learning to love like Jesus loved through seeing how he loves us, right? Okay, thanks for that point. Okay, so more of the nitty-gritty. Why do we call it Psalms? Um, the English title comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, which calls it psalmoi. This, this word is derived from the Greek word for a harp-like musical instrument. So the Psalms were sung, songs accompanied by instruments, the Hebrew word for the book is tehillim, which means praises. You like my, my Psalter picture there? So, so Joel has way better funny uh, pictures, but this is my attempt at it, right? The Psalms are prayerful poetry set to music. Are any of you old enough to have, like, did any of you go to, like, beat poetry events or anything? I don't sense that they're super, like, beatnik poetry 
people in the church, but yeah, Ralph, is that, Steve said Ralph, we used to go to this, right, like, like kind of the hipstery, okay, okay, did you ever go to one of those things? Okay, tell us about it real quick, come on. Would you snap, clap? Oh, yeah. Where did you do this? Pensacola. What, what was the hangout spot? Uh, if you're at liberty to say. I mean, I don't want to embarrass you. But. <laughs> the Bean and Leaf? Where was that located? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. All of y'all are thinking, he's never going to get through all the Psalms talking about where, where, where Clarence heard beat poets, all right? Okay, so prayerful poetry set to music. Yeah, baby. All right. Okay, so what I want us to do is kind of tear through this outline. So you're like, wait, what? Just, I'm giving you a sample. Get this book. See, I'm basically like totally, I'm giving him credit, so I'm not really plagiarizing, but this is O. Palmer Robertson's stuff, okay? So I would encourage you to get this book. Um, and, uh, and if you ask me later, I can remind you of the link for, um, for the whole talk that he gives going through all this in detail. So looking at the structure of the Psalms, there are five books in the Psalms. Now, O. Palmer Robertson has labeled each of the books with a different theme. Now, obviously, there's some overlap you can find a confronty psalm in the other book of psalms, even though book one he's labeling confrontation. These are just broad brush, general ways. You can always find exceptions to the rule, uh, a way of thinking about the flow of the psalms and connecting it with the gospel and redemptive history. So we're like, what does it mean to relate to God in a sinful world? Having been, so think about creation, fall, redemption as the backdrop for the flow of the psalms, right? God is our creator, and yet we're sinners, and yet he's redeemed us. So what does it look, sound, and feel like to be someone who is created, who is sinful, and redeemed all at the same time, right? So book one is confrontation, all right? Uh, and so what he does is he breaks it down. These, these outlines will go through different uh, aspects or sections of the book or different aspects of it. So you'll understand more what I mean as, as we go through it. So looking at, in terms of the authorship of this book, the first one, Psalm 1, blesses the man who walks not in the council of God, all that. Uh, we don't know who authored that. It doesn't explicitly uh, ascribe that to David. Although, anyway, I could be wrong about that. I, I believe that's the case. I looked it up, but all right. So then the, number 2 through 41 are ascribed to David. So, um, there are different structures within the books of the Psalms that you'll find, little features that you'll find in, in uh, at least a couple times. One is called the Torah Messianic Coupling. So uh, basically, you've got a law teaching psalm and then a messianic psalm right next to it. So, for example, Psalm 1 is, you know, Blessed is the one who walks with the Lord and trusts the Lord. He will bear fruit. He will flourish. The, the mocker and the ungodly will be like chaff that's blown away, and they won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. This is a, a teaching or wisdom song. Like, it's good to trust and walk with the Lord. It's bad to not trust and reject the Lord because, you know, heaven and hell and stuff. So uh, 
so there's that. And then right after that uh, is Psalm 2, right? This great messianic psalm of, you know, why do the nations rage? I've set my king on my holy hill. You know, get back, enemies. Jesus reigns now. Uh, he's my son. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. So it's one of the most explicit about Jesus Christ having been incarnated, having lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended to the throne of God, ruling over the nations, prophecy is Psalm 2. And there's another messianic coupling like that, Psalm 18 and 19 right next to each other. Okay, So that's one literary feature of structure and organization that has a theological uh, meaning. So if you've got a teaching or Torah psalm and then a messianic promise psalm, what principle about theology or the Christian faith, what distinction might come to mind? Got law and teaching and then a messianic psalm. What's, what's interesting about those things being put together? Tracking with me? Think about maybe like Martin Luther, if you know anything about Martin Luther. What, what kind of stuff did he talk about in terms of the law, the way we understand the scriptures, thinking about law and what? Law and grace, yeah, what's that, law and gospel? Yeah, law and gospel, right? And Dick, uh, well, imperative, <laughs> do this, and then, I can't, save me, indicative. Jesus did it for you, right? So you have even these little hints within the Psalter of that dynamic of law and gospel. You read this law psalm and then, whew, gospel, <laughs> right? So I think that's beautiful and also instructive. There's other things that happen in the Psalms that are interesting as well. Uh, there's also, if you look down on the outline, a creation psalm prior to an acrostic psalm. Okay, Tell us what an acrostic psalm is. Just shout it out if you know what it is. Say it loud. What? Hebrew alphabet. <clears throat> Hebrew alphabet. Follows the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, Psalm 119 is like the acrostic of acrostic psalms because I, if I remember right, each psalm is an acrostic, but then each chapter is also uh, the beginning of a different Hebrew letter. Um, yeah, each verse begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it'd be like an ABC poem where every line, there's an A, then the next line begins with B, C, and so on. And there's this interesting pattern where you've got a creation psalm, like Psalm 8, is a creation psalm prior to an acrostic psalm, all right? So 8 comes before 9 slash 10. You know, in some ways, the 9 and 10 kind of fit together. And then Psalm 33 goes before Psalm 34. All right? And so, um, and I think 37 is just another acrostic psalm. So what, what might that teach us if you've got a creation psalm about God made all things, and then an acrostic psalm with this intricate literary structure. What might that be teaching us? What do you think? Yes, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm drawing from that. Yeah, that God 
is all-powerful and he's all-knowing and he knows us intimately. Thank you. And you think about literary structure like, wow, God designed a language and is given creativity by his Holy Spirit to the author of each of those psalms to not only express wonderful things beautifully, but in this incredibly impressive structure. You know, when you look at the literary structure of the Bible and Hebrew poetry, which I'm not going to take us deep into today, you, you see that there's so much more going on there than you would get just on the surface. That the more you study the Bible, the more you study the Bible, the more you want to know more because it, there's just this beautiful simplicity and, and deep complexity that, again, reflects the heart of God and the order of God and the, the creative power of God. That uh, he, not just, he doesn't just give us words, he gives them to us in an artistic structure, which just shows, again, his, his power and creativity. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, thanks. That's good. All right, so then you got the acrostic thing. So we're going down to this category of significant groupings or themes, all right? So you've got the introduction is the chunk. That's one part, Psalm 1 and 2. And then you've got these kingship psalms responding to Psalm 18. And so uh, you've got the Messiah's kingship and then Yahweh's kingship. There are these looking at the, the Messianic king specifically, and then more broadly, Yahweh as creator. And we know that Jesus is, is Yahweh, but there's this, the way, the, the words that are used for the Lord in them, there's that distinction there. And then uh, there's a teaching psalm responding to Psalm uh, 19, and that's Psalm 25. And then uh, these regal dwelling place psalms, 26 through 32, Psalms of the innocent sufferer, verses 30, Psalms 34 to 37. Psalms of the guilty sufferer, 38 to 41. So we're not, I'm not going to read ones from each of the categories. I just want you to see that, there, that people are, have discovered that when you look at the completed form of the five books of the Psalms put together, there's, there's some organization there. It's not just like uh, 52 pickup where you get a you know, your babysitter would play that trick on you. you know, hey, you want to play a game? Sure, 52 pickup. What's that? Pick them up, you know. That's not the way the Psalter is, is organized, right? There's structure to it. All right, and then there are these interesting structures within the Psalms called poetic pyramids, all right? So the way this works is, like, if, if you look at Psalm 20 through 24, right? You just, if you were to stretch those out on a line, there's a pyramid where there's what's called the pinnacle psalm in between. It's the psalm right in the middle of all those psalms. And there is an emphasis to that psalm. Just like we know other literary structures in the Bible, like something called a chiasm, where it's like A, B, C, D, and then C, B, A. You know, the D, <laughs> thanks. The D is what's being emphasized, you know. It's, it, there's something that's in the middle that's the heart of that. And that's an example here. So you've got the um, Psalm 20 to 24, and then Psalms 26 to 32, those are two 
uh, pyramid sections, but look at what's at the pinnacle, at least of the first one. I'm not going to read Psalm 29 now. It's probably messianic in some way. They're all messianic in one way, but some are more explicit. But Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't it interesting that that's in the same pyramid as Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. And how I preached this. When I was preaching on Psalm 23, I mentioned the fact that, oh, what's right before that? Oh, oh yeah, Psalm 22, right? That's how he can be our shepherd. And that's how we cannot be, uh, be terrified of death. Because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we'll see later. We're going to read it later. And he also cried, you have heard me, which I believe is his resurrection right there in the psalm. So there's theological meaning to the way that the books are organized. And then so there's also a category called focal messianic psalms. And th those are two here, 2 and 22. Not, maybe not all pure not all focal messianic psalms are in the midst of a psalm pyramid. All right, I know I'm going kind of quickly, but again, I'm trying to paint with a broad brush and give you a sense of these things that you can then go more deeply because I want to get into how they point to Jesus and things like that. All right, second book, Communication. All right, 42 to 72. Um, there are various authors within this book, the sons of Korah, Asaph, David, and Solomon. Um, as we think about the authors of the Psalms, uh, it's a good thing to think about what, what are the dates of the book of, what's the date of the book of Psalms? Well, we know, what, what's one of the older Psalms that we know based on who, who wrote it? Where he's not mentioned here, but can you think of any Psalm that was written by someone who lived kind of a long time ago before David did? Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Who wrote that? Moses. Moses. Remember that? Like, we think of, oh, the Psalms of David, right? But Moses has a few hits in there, too, you know, which is pretty cool. So, um, so obviously, so he lived around, I believe it's, um, it'd be like, uh, fifth, no, let's see. Mo yeah, Moses was around 1500 B.C., I believe. David was around 1000 B.C. Abraham was about 2000 B.C. So at least one of them is written around 1500 B.C. or so. And then we also have psalms like Psalm 137 that were written after the return of the Israelites back to Israel. So like, you know, 500s, 400s B.C., around there. I'm being kind of loose, but you get it. So they, all along the way, there's a large date timeline to the Psalter, okay? And then the final form may have been compiled you know, I guess in the post-exilic period. Okay, so book two still. So book one, confrontation. You know, this now communication, yes, there's overlap, but it's more uh, relational. Yes, there's some judging and calling to account and stuff, but the, the emphasis is, is more uh, relational, okay? Less about like the righteous do this and the wicked do this or... So, significant groupings, themes. All right. So, there's the introduction. Um, so, individual introduction, Psalm 42, 43, they basically go together. And then the corporate introduction, Psalm 44. So, one of my faves. So, here we get into the intimate heart of the believer in God, crying out to God, right? Arise, O Lord. 
come to our help? Why did you leave us hanging in battle? All right. And then so you've got the kingship psalm, the Messiah's kingship, Psalm 45. That's that marriage psalm about the Messiah, the bridegroom, and Christ is the bride. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the church is the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. This intimate psalm in which he says, uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A, 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 a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you forever. You've got one of the biggest trinity in your face psalms that's this messianic psalm right there. Your throne, O God, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. That's undeniable Trinitarian language to show that there's one God and there's more than one person in the Godhead. All right. Elohim's kingship, using the name Elohim, the name that we translate as God from the Hebrew, um, the cry of the king, the response of Elohim, okay, judicial summons and respondents, summons to the nations, summons to God's people, David as respondent, Doeg as respondent, atheism revisited, seven specified enemies, and then ongoing struggle. Again, not looking at all the detail of that, but I just want you to see that there are are, there are themes and groups of things together that um, people have noticed in the Psalter. So then the focal Messianic Psalms, Psalm 45, as I mentioned, uh, Psalm 69, which talks about the betrayal by Judas prophetically. That's mentioned there. One of the stuff in the book of Acts where they're, they talk about Judas betraying Jesus and they're going to pick a new apostle to replace him. They quote Psalm 69 needing to be fulfilled. You know, another... Um, let another one his office take. And then Psalm 72 was um, by Solomon pointing ahead very explicitly to the reign of Jesus, his eternal reign, his name being forever and ever. All right. Written by the son of David, right? Solomon. Okay, so book three, devastation. Again, I'm just going to kind of read through these because I want to get to some other stuff. But again, I want you to see the, the structure here. So the authors uh, uh, within this book three of Devastation are Asaph and the sons of Korah. Significant groupings, themes, uh, there's an introduction, individual introduction, a corporate introduction, 73 and 74. Elohim's kingship over earthly kings, devastation and deliverance of southern and northern kingdoms. So that's where you have the deliverance of them. That's post-exile, right? They came back. Hallelujah. Um, Positive perspective by the sons of Korah, individual and corporate distress. So, all right. So then the poetic pyramid psalms, are, there's one with 77 to 83, and the pinnacle is Psalm 80, and that's also a focal messianic psalm. So again, you see the structure. These It's almost like a chiasm within the different chapters of the psalms. You've got leading up, pinnacle, and then after. Jesus is in the center explicitly. It's an explicitly messianic psalm, all right? Book four, maturation, growing uh, wisdom. These were a lot of the wisdom. How do we think about life, right? Um, so as Don mentioned, Moses authored uh, at least Psalm 90 there, talking about the, day, the length of days and God being our eternal refuge and thinking, measuring your days, having... Wisdom, getting older, having perspective on life, right? None of you can relate to that, right? So um, even at almost 45, I'm, hopefully there's some maturation that's happened, you know? <laughs> uh, 
and seeing life through a different lens and then the Holy Spirit using someone who has had that experience to help us reflect on life. So then um, Psalms 91 through 100 are unknown, the author's unknown, and then 104 to 106, the author's unknown, and then David is the author of 101 to 103. So significant groupings and themes. Um, there's the introduction, Psalm 90, is the prospect of prosperity and long life. And then you have these things called the Yahweh Malach Psalms, this praising of Yahweh, Yahweh as king, um, 92 to 100. And then the first hallelujah triad is where it's praise the Lord, Yah, Yahweh, uh, 104 to 106. And then there's two psalms of historical recollection where it goes through the history of redemption in Israel. Y'all, come on in. Come on. Don't be ashamed. It's not like you're shy. You know, come on. It's not like you're shy. Jim and Becky. Woo! <laughs> All right. That wasn't to embarrass you. That's because I love you. All right, come on in. Sit in the front row. I won't spit. All right? You're not at SeaWorld. You won't get wet. All right? Okay. Okay, so you've got these poetic pyramid psalms, Psalm 92 to 100, pinnacle is 96. All right, book five, you like, you like my picture? Consummation, firework finale, right? The consummation. All right, again, the flow of the psalms, conflict, communication, you know, devastation, maturation, and then you end in consummation, the wedding supper of the lamb, right? This bloody-throated shouting of praise to God. You know, just exuberance. It ends in this glory, 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 right? That's, and then you've, you've got these law and gospel things all along the way, and you've got these messianic psalms, this build-up, right, of more and more and more um, praise to God. So the author of, uh, is unknown. Of one, of, I'll, I'm not going to read them all. Unknown author for those. David authored these. Solomon uh, authored Psalm 127. Again, you've got this Torah messianic coupling, although in this way it's reversed. So it's kind of interesting. Um, what does the fact that 119 comes after a messianic psalm maybe th help us think about how we think about Psalm 119? Because we talked about law and gospel. Well, what happens when you've got Gospel, then law. What, what might that be helping us think about as well, about how we think about the law and God's word and wisdom? Cindy? No, you, you're on the right track. Go. Yes, right. So the law is not just to lead us to Christ. It's also how we're to live in response to Christ. The Bible, the catechism talks about what does the Bible teach? The things we're to believe concerning God and, and the, what God requires of us, right? Um, indicative, imperative. This is God's love. This is the good news. Therefore, receive that love and then reflect that love to God, other believers, and those who don't yet know him. That's, again, the Christian life. Laura. That's right. Amen. One of the, say it again. Shout it out, girl. We're not struggling to be free. We're free to struggle. That's right. Uh, one of our pastors, the pastor who married us, would talk about that. And he was an RUF, Laura's RUF minister. 
We're not struggling to be free. We are free to struggle. We're free to engage the law and not pretend that it doesn't mean what it really means because we've already been forgiven. And when we fail to keep the law, we can keep getting back on the horse because we're always on the horse. Jesus got knocked off the horse in our place. and went, you know. All right. So acrostic psalms, all right, significant groupings, themes, introduction, just kind of look down here, those hallelujah groupings, psalms of ascent, that's a big structure in the psalm. These were the psalms that they would sing on their way of pilgrimage to go up to Jerusalem and the temple for their yearly feasts of the people of Israel. So they would sing these psalms of ascent, then hallelujah that specific phrase being used again. Um, traditional, transitional psalms of historic res, res, recollection. When you sing to God, you're, you're also reflecting on the history of redemption. You're, you're singing as one of God's children as part of his historic family that's existed since Adam, right? And so you, these psalms set you in the context of your family story, your adoption story. Um, of the people of Israel, that we've been brought in in as one body now in Christ. Then this hallelujah finale, that's like the clanging cymbals and the fireworks going and like on the violin, I guess. I don't know if, you know, this, you know, that's the end, right? So you've got these poetic pyramid psalms. Again, there are these significant pinnacles. The middle psalm has, they're focusing on that. And then the focal messianic psalm, Psalm 110, quoted a lot in the New Testament, and Psalm 118. Okay. Uh, hint, uh, kinds of psalms, all right? And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Hymns of joy, a sense of harmony with God and circumstances. You know, James says, if anyone's sick, let him, you know, confess his sins, he'll be healed, let... Him go to the elders, have them anoint him with oil, he'll be healed. That sick doesn't isn't just talking about physical things, it's also talking about like spiritual things, emotional things. And so, but he's like, hey, if things are going well, if you're happy, sing psalms. You know, like don't hoard your happiness, vocalize your happiness back to God. And I think that's a good reminder to us that these hymns of joy remind us that when we are thankful, when we are um we, when we have had answered prayers, you know, we are not to keep silent about that. We're not to keep silent about with our praise. That part of what it means to be human is to shout to God with joy. So that's why we sing loud in worship at times. Sometimes we sing softer, but these hymns of joy, um, if you look bored, that's not good, right? So <laughs> hymns of joy, it's great doxology. And then there's Laments, when you have a sense of distance from God and of distress. And it's interesting that even though one commentator said, even though the note of the hymns of joy kind of colors the Psalter generally in our mind, actually there are more, the, the hymns of lament are more frequent than the hymns of joy. Isn't that interesting? What do you, what do you make of that? That the fact that there are psalms that acknowledge a sense of distance from God. Why do you hide your face from me, O Lord? How long until you hear my prayer? You know, you've got those, the nursing home psalm. You know, Psalm 80, forget what it is, but it's like, you know, turn your face from me and just let me be alone in the darkness, basically. It doesn't end on a light of hope note. You know, it's just 
suffering of a believer. What is the significance of that? What does that teach us about the Christian life? It's hard. That's right. Yeah. And the, but the emphasis here is, but it's real tribulation, right? So when you show up to church and you don't have a smile on your face, guess what? That's okay. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not trying to sound patronizing. You know, you know that. But, but when someone's like, hey, how are you? Now, yeah, there's the short answer because you're trying to get into worship, right? But in the parking lot, you see that person and you're like, no, I mean, how are you, how are you really? You know? How are you really? And it's okay to not go, well, things are hard, but man, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting the Lord. Like, yes, okay, we know that. But, but like, if you're living under this pressure that to be faithful means to not be sad and to not have a frustrated, even angry or sad face, you're killing yourselves and you're killing other people if that's how you see the Christian life. If you, the people you're discipling, if that's how you are discipling them, you're setting them up for just failure and depression. You know, it, part of the beauty of the Psalms is that God goes, listen, y'all, I know you. I love you. I know what's going on. I know how you feel. I know things aren't fine. Ultimately, they're fine because of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know they're not fine right now. And, and that's okay. Like, talk to me about it. And gosh, man, that is so comforting to me. Um, yeah, what do you think? The beauty of the laments are that they, there is this yearning for more of God, mm. more of his presence, mm. nearness to him, mm. as the um, counterbalance for the harshness of reality. That's great. So the, it's like the yearning and the feeling of hunger that's being expressed glorifies the one who satisfies that hunger. Yeah. Okay. And we're, that's good. And, and they're not looking anywhere else for that solution. It's a great point. Yeah, that when you're bringing your complaint, like, Lord, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? You're bringing it to God, and that actually honors him. There's sinful grumbling, like in the Old Testament, in the, in the wilderness, and God zaps them for that, right? But this is not that. This is different. This is, you are my father. I know you. I love you. I trust you. Your providence seems to contradict your promises. So to me, that's Psalm 44. You know, God's giving you all these promises. You know, uh, seek the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, I'm engaged. This is great. Look, you brought, what? You know, his providence seems to contradict his promises. And there's this disconnect that just tears your heart up. And you bring that to God for relief, right? Thank you. What, but, but you brings out or begins with the, you know, Lord, why are you so far from me? Why are you mm -hmm. separated mm -hmm. from me? Why am I so depressed? Why mm -hmm. am I lonely? Why, you know, and all those. But toward the end, he says, my trust is in Absolutely. You. Yes. It, it goes from, you know, we've got this ailment mm -hmm. of feeling depressed, mm -hmm. of feeling sad, mm -hmm. of feeling lonely, and yet we've got the hope of the trust in God. Yes. The cure for that. You know? Right. Yeah, that's good. And it's a fresh act of faith. It's a commitment to faith. It's a covenant renewal kind of like, but I trust in you. Like, I'm still in. I'm still married to you. I'm not going anywhere, right? I don't feel good right now, but I'm with you. I trust you. I'm yours. But yeah, and sometimes 
That's not because like, oh, Lord, you've answered me, and now I'm trusting you. Those are the Thanksgiving songs we're going to get to, right? Sometimes these are these fresh acts of faith. I don't feel your forgiveness right now, but 1 John 1, 9 says something, and you're not lying, and so I'm going to go with what that says. I believe you've forgiven me, and I'm going to live my life today without a cloud of guilt over my head. Go ahead, Susie. That by using the lament on our concern in the New Testament, when we said that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize mm. with our weaknesses, Amen. but one who has endured every temptation mm. without sin. So we know that Jesus, as a human, experienced all of that. Amen. right thank you and you know i'm going to talk about this probably in my sermon but there are verses that as like people who believe in the sovereignty of god and everything can kind of mess with our heads like when it says the lord uh regretted that he had made saul king over israel you know god's not just being cute right he actually experienced regret over making saul king over israel was he sovereign over that of course he was did he plan that ultimately? Of course he did. Did he write that in ultimately sinlessly into his own story, into the story? Yes, he did. But we see that God ordains things that he hates <laughs> sinlessly. He's written his own suffering as however God suffers sovereignly into his very story with his people. And so God actually felt regret, even though obviously he knew that it was ultimately for good and all of that. God is able to feel all kinds of things at the same time, however God feels but there is a real connection with, in terms of how we feel as well. It's not an alien thing. Thanks for saying that. All right, so Psalms of Thanksgiving, a sense of relief through answered laments, right? So hymns of joy, you are who you are. We're so glad you are here. Uh, Thanksgiving, more of this emphasis of you rescued me, right? At the end, I'm going to read all of Psalm 22. So I won't read that right now. But there's a part that you'll see in Psalm 22 where like, you've rescued me. And then it all gets happy from there on out. You know? So, all right. Psalms of confidence. I trust in you. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 91. You know, he takes us under his wings, under the shadow of his wings. Um, Psalm 27. You're my light and my salvation. You give me truth and guidance and you're leading me. And you're my fortress. You're my protector. Nothing can ultimately harm me because I'm in Christ. I'm in you. You cover me. You protect me, right? Psalms of remembrance. Um, the psalm talking about Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, Psalm 105, this remembering God's faithfulness to his people, using individuals as examples. And you've got these wisdom psalms. Psalm 1, blessed is the one. Sounds like Proverbs, kind of. You know, blessed are you if you do this. Curse you if you do this, or the, the wise person does this, the fool does this. Here are the consequences. Uh, Psalm 73, again, why did the wicked prosper? You know, I was so foolish and ignorant like a brute beast before you. And then, then when you brought me into the house, into your house, then I saw their end. And I realized, oh, wait a second, there's a coming judgment. And there's this wisdom of like, oh, if you can remember this, this will make more sense to you. Kingship Psalms, these explicit messianic king 
Psalms. Um, Psalm 2, I've set my king in Zion. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet. All right, theological themes. God is creator. Psalm 104 goes into the beauty of God's creation and how that blesses, the, how he feeds the animals and gladdens the heart of his children. God is ruler. God is judge. And then God as redeemer. So now, I want to camp out on this, right? Jesus is the creator king, all right? Psalm 102. I'm going to read something to you from that. Psalm 102. This is a psalm that's quoted in the book of Hebrews that you wouldn't know is specifically referring to the, the person of the Son um, until you read Hebrews. Or that generally God is God and He is Yahweh. But the book of Hebrews explicitly ascribes this to Jesus. Verse 25, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God right? You will change the heavens like a garment. When you make a new heavens and new earth, you will judge all things and renew all things, but you're also the creator of all things, right? Of old, you, Jesus, laid the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the creator king referred to in the book of Psalms. Jesus is also the crucified and resurrected king, I'm going to read Psalm 22, the whole thing. And, man, I mean, you're, I know you're, most of you are probably familiar with this, but just reading over the details of this, you know, I haven't actually seen the movie, but it's like watching the passion of the Christ <laughs> when, during the life of King David, you know, 1000 B.C. It's like you're, you're watching Jesus at the cross prophetically, a thousand years before he becomes flesh. Incredible. Down to the minutest of details. And we'll see that. How are we doing on time? It's one, one, 941. All right. I'll, um, I'll get to it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer <laughs> And by night, but I find no rest, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. 
You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. It is finished. Amen? I mean, I don't need to really say much. Down to the very details of the soldiers cast lot for this part of his garment. But this part had no seam. Or they ripped this part. But this part didn't have a seam, so they actually cast lots for it. Down to that detail. Quoting prophetically the jerky people who were mocking Jesus at the cross. Prophetically using the words that they would unawarely use shouting at Jesus at the cross. I mean, <laughs> it's the gospel. It's the gospel. I'm not going to read the other ones. You can read them on your own. Jesus is the enthroned king. Not only was he resurrected, but enthroned. And Jesus is worthy of our praise. Let me read, I will read this. Psalm 72, verses 17 to 19. We're almost done. This is ultimately about Jesus. 
May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's Jesus in the Psalms. You know, the, the, great, the greatest commentator on the Psalms is Jesus. And in Luke 24, he says, you know, how foolish and slow of heart of you to believe all that was written in, in Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, you know, about the Christ, that the Christ would suffer. But that's been in there the whole time. All right. Uh, for the sake of time, I just want to go ahead and close this in prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this answer, Lord, that though David felt like you had forsaken him and that we might feel that way at times, Jesus is the only one who can truly say that in our place. Father, we pray that the gospel of Christ's suffering and resurrection, that you heard him and you raised him from the dead, would give us great confidence as we worship you. We pray for those who are singing hymns of joy that you would help them to sing even louder. We pray for those who are singing songs of lament. We pray that they would go deeper in their tears. We pray for songs of thanksgiving, that they would be songs that we share with others, that we tell of your answers to our prayers, that they might have hope for you to do the same for them. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to you as you opened your heart to us this morning through the gospel of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.